Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith. I'm a digital family parent, coach, and educator. And this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and with more balance. My guest today is Kelly Humphreys. Kelly Humphreys is a survivor of child sexual abuse, a law enforcement officer, ambassador, author, and advocate. Kelly is extremely passionate about breaking cycles of abuse through multiple platforms and is a compelling and powerful speaker. Knowledgeable and witty panelist. She's knowledgeable and witty panelist. You've got to put that that in there. Otherwise, people think it's a bit (laughs) dry or dire. And a a fantastic MC. She advocates on various print and social media platforms, and she's in the process of building a number of courses to help trauma survivors and the leaders who support them. Kelly, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. You witty. You witty panellist, you. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, it, it is a little bit like that because I, I, I do believe the topics that we talk about are really tough. And so mm. I think that when we can break it down a little bit and have a little bit of fun with it, it makes it a little bit easier to digest some of the difficult stuff that we talk about. So Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Now, um, Kelly, you have had 17 years in the police force. 14. Uh, 14. <laughs> yes. I'm going to... Um, Tell my researcher off. That's me. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. It's okay. <laughs> 14 years in the police force. What inspired you to apply for the police? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think there's a lot of reasons that I uh, decided to join the police. And um, the, the biggest one was because when I obviously shared my story um, and, and I had to speak up about what had happened to me as a child, I spoke to the child protection unit. Um, in Toowoomba at the time and those officers who I dealt with were just incredible incredible human beings doing an incredible job Um, I felt safe even though it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life they Mm. did a really good job and uh, I've always had a heart to help people to uh, want to do something big with my life and I thought well as long as I could remember that being a police officer might be a good idea so um Mm. That and growing up in a small country town, we had those wonderful adopter cops. Yeah. They've been still uh, in contact with one of those officers. And, um, yeah, it just was an, an incredible legacy that I, I thought I could be a part of. So it was for those reasons that I joined the police and I'm still uh, an officer today. So, But in saying that, the opinions that I provide today are my own opinions and my own research. So, Yes, of course. <laughs> um. Many parents really underestimate the cunning and deter- how cunning and determined that predators are. Um, sometimes when I talk to parents about the situations that I've heard about, you can see the jaws drop because yeah. these predators are incredibly cunning. It's almost like they've done a, a course in how to coerce people and in the way they do because they compare notes they and talk about how they get, you know, around kids and get children to trust them. You talk in your story when you're talking to groups about your abuser and how he groomed you and what sort of things he said to you for parents listening to this and also for educators what type of language and strategies do predators typically use on children to keep them silent and to convince a child to comply and go along with the abuse yeah look that's a a question we could probably have our own like one episode on just that because it is Mm. so complex um, I think the first thing that is really important for parents and educators to understand is that sometimes, whether it's online or contact offending, so in-person or familial offending, 
uh, parents or the caregivers are actually generally the ones that are groomed first. Mm-hmm. They're groomed first in order to gain access to the child. So a lot of times we, our families will, will, will beat themselves up because they're like, oh, how could somebody hurt my child? It's my fault. Many times it's because, and again, 70 to 90% of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by someone known to the child, even online. So oftentimes the parents do know or have knowledge mm. of the person that is 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 doing the offending. So mm. um, it's very important to realise that they, the parents are groomed as well. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that's, that's an important part of this. But... Um, <sighs> Tactics-wise, I mean, there's there's so many things that, that offenders do and it doesn't even have to be something that's said to the child. It's sometimes just how the child feels at the mm-hmm. time. Like for myself, for example, like it wasn't anything particular that my uncle had said to me to keep me quiet. It was actually because I felt such a deep shame and disgust at myself about what had happened to me that I, I, I felt like I couldn't say anything because what would my family think of me if they knew what I was doing or what he was doing. Kelly, you were so young when that happened. You were eight, is that correct? You were eight years of age. So an eight-year-old, how does an eight-year-old work out that it's shameful? So is there something that he said where he said, don't tell someone what we're doing? Yeah, of of course there was those things there, but Mm. it was the feelings of confusion because, I mean, this is going to be very hard pill to swallow. I actually really struggled to talk about it, but, Sometimes um, child sexual abuse is not, and, and, I, and I don't want to misquote myself or, or say the wrong thing here, but mm. it, it's not a particularly um, painful experience as it is as you get older and you realise that it's wrong because obviously our bodies are wired in certain ways. Mm. Uh, so these touches can be very confusing because they don't always feel bad. Yes. Right? So yeah. as, as horrible and I get chills talking about it, mm. Because it is such a difficult thing to to explain and get your head around. Like no child yeah. ever wants to experience that. Mm. Right? We're, we're wired as biological beings. Yes. We're, we're wired even as children as sexual beings. And I don't even like saying that. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So in in all of that, when when you are touched, whether it's someone you like or you don't, at times a child will have a reaction that they find confusing. And so it's really important to learn what a, a confusing touch and a bad touch is, mm. what a good touch is, and what is a safe touch. Mm. So, um, you know, later if we talk about uh, what what would have helped me talk mm. a lot earlier, mm. it's mm. understanding the difference between those things, and that it's that in itself is silencing because you don't actually you can't really work out what's going on. So unless you've been taught, and again, education is, is essential you know, this is my body and it belongs to me. This is a penis. This is a vagina. And unless you have a language around those things, it's really, really hard to say, hey, this is what's happened to me. This is what's going on and I'm not okay with it. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's difficult um, to, again, to even talk about that stuff. But um, it it is a, it is the silencing, but the shame part is the silencing. Kids don't understand shame. They don't recognise shame as but they just feel bad. They feel it, but they don't know, they, they don't, are unable to name that feeling. That's right. Yeah, because so, usually an abuser at some point will tell a child, 
uh, that what they're doing might get them into a lot of trouble. I know with online approaches that, that that's something they, they say a lot. Basically, if you tell someone, we'll both be in trouble, it won't be yeah. just me. And so there's this sort of code of silence where yeah. there's a threat. And look, that what I've just said, that is just one tiny but huge element of, of silencing a, a child. But um, there are there are so many ways. I mean, it's the, it's the grooming part of it and, you know, they become friends with them. So you don't want to get a friend in trouble, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's silencing in that way. It's like, oh, you don't want to get me in trouble, do you? And particularly, again, because 70 to 90% of offense, offenders are known to the, to the child or the family, you're going to break up the family. I mean, that's something my uncle told me. Mm. He that. he told you that 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 it would break up the family. Yeah, well, not not particularly maybe in those words. I mean, I was eight, but um, you know that he, we wouldn't see him again and those types of things. And I was like, oh yeah. And he was the he was very much the cool uncle, wasn't he, Kelly? Yeah, and he was, and he was such a big help to our family. And so that's that's and and you have to remember, so online uh, child exploitation material, so um, things that are filmed and and you know put out onto the internet and stuff like that, all starts with contact offending. Right, so it all starts with something that's happening somewhere, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens with that, and and it could be as much as like the, the self-produced material. Yeah. So the silencing around this is huge. Like I could, again, we could talk for so long about it, but mm-hmm. uh, for many of your listeners, and you probably have spoken about sextortion before, mm-hmm. where you know, them the child might send like a nude photo or something like that to someone who's the unknown person on the other end and any perpetrators probably done their research they know what school your child goes to they know where they spend their time what their hobbies are you know and a lot of times they'll threaten to to send those images or to to show or share those images with family members with school peers with teachers with grandparents, whoever, in order to shame the child into silence. And so that just then, and also to send more images, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. So, so they, it's sextortion, which is obviously sexual extortion. Yes. It's basically blackmail, which is what they're doing. And it was interesting that you said um, the parents are getting groomed as well. And um, in the work that I do, how I see that, Kelly, is that parents believe that the other people that that their children are communicating with online are other children and that's a form of grooming so it could happen in games or on social media and I've actually had several parents come up to me and after a talk and quietly say to me look my child's playing with another child that's based over in um, Europe or they're based over in the US and I think it's great that they've got this exposure to different cultures and everything. What do you say about that? And I said, how do you know it's a child? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's clearly a child and I've heard the voice and so on. I'm saying, well, are you aware that a voice changes? All the kids are. It's really easy to do that and their eyes start to get wide. And in a sense, a lot of the platforms that these predators are using where they're representing themselves as a teenager or a child, uh, they are in fact grooming the parents because they've convinced the parents that they are another child. Yeah, and and that's we don't want to keep our kids off the internet, but that is the reality of what can happen. And 
Um, sometimes these guys are children because a lot of uh, child sexual abuse occurs peer to peer. Yes. Mm. I mean, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. The Australian Senate account of child exploitation has some great statistics mm. um, available if, if you're you know, really interested in those things. But um, the, point, the point is you don't know who's behind the screen. People will um, fake, make fake accounts in order to get kids, especially with their, their superstars or, you know, rock stars or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, create a fake account and, and draw these children into different groups and stuff like that and then that grooming continues because, you know, we like to believe that the person we think that they are is a safe person and, you know, that they're connecting with their kids. Oh, that's great, you know, but behind that it's a fake account. It's someone that is... <laughs> You know, and, and it's and it's horrible and it's betraying and it and it makes us angry and it makes us scared to let our kids, you know, go out there and use the internet. Mm. But um, you know, again, it just comes back to us being as proactive as possible, knowing what apps the kids are using, making sure we're aware of how they can protect themselves, making sure the kids know how to report, um, and being brave enough to have those conversations with with their children. And uh, I think I was writing some notes earlier, but uh, while we're on, on the topic, I think a child having emotional intel- intelligence, like if you can't see, this is one of the big things. Like I had emotional intelligence, but I didn't have a language around what was happening to me to say, hey, this is what's going on. It makes me really uncomfortable. And by the time I could have that conversation, I was already trapped in a very big cycle of child abuse, right? Mm. So having these conversations early in a safe space where um, the child feels they can come to you is so important and, and saying, hey, I feel really afraid. Okay, tell me more about that. What does that look like? Why do you feel afraid? Hmm. You know, and as soon as that feeling happens, that, that's when that conversation needs to happen before further conversations happen and they can be stuck then in that cycle again. Yeah. Before we go, move on to disclosure, which I really do want to talk to you about, one of the things you just said, previously was um, about your uncle was about how he was the cool uncle and yeah. what I see with with kids being groomed online is um, what the predators tend to do is they look for a child that needs a mentor or a friend and they present themselves as somebody who is not a parent but someone midway between so it's like you know how are you How's your relationship with your parents? Oh, well, that's really terrible. They become this confidant, this somebody who's a supporter. Um, And what you were saying before about your uncle and not wanting to to betray someone that you liked, that I see happening quite a lot. And I've seen examples of it myself when I've been in online games and I can see whether it's a teenager, whether it's an adult, using that exact language with a child um, and I'm aware of, you know, other experiences of that happening in real life where that where the predator becomes the child's best friend. And in some cases, they don't present themselves as a child at all. They actually do present themselves as an adult. And the child feels like they're special because they have that adult who's interested in them. Yeah, I, I totally agree because um, I, think, I think there's a lot of, see, <laughs> This could go for quite some time. Um, I, I, I really believe in the power of social media and I believe that it has amazing uh, ability to do incredible things and connect kids and, you know, it's got some brilliant potential to do wonderful things, right? 
but I also but, do it takes away yeah. from our ability to have deep and meaningful conversations with our kids. Mm-hmm. It takes away from time where we could be doing things together, you know, mm-hmm. like out in the yard playing a game of soccer or something like that. Like it, it, it removes that face-to-face interaction and I think that it's more difficult now for kids to have these tough conversations than it ever was before because mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, a, a shield almost, mm-hmm. you know, I can I can have my twelve year old stepdaughter in in the room and she'll be like on Facetime with a friend, and they'll talk for hours on Facetime. Whereas I'm like, why can't you just have a conversation? Mm. You know, but it, it's removed those abilities to have that deep and meaningful connection at times. And mm. I think for parents, they don't. I mean, I struggle to understand this the side of the world sometimes. So for those who are even older than myself or whatever, having the ability to have that connection with kids is even harder when you've got all these like platforms and apps and you know all these games and things like that because it's just easy for a child to just go okay go get on your you know go get on mm. or go play Roblox or whatever mm. because you know we're busy we're very busy they're craving those conversations Kelly absolutely and, and what happens with a screen is the disinhibition I can never say the word disinhibition effect of a screen which allows people to talk more freely like you and I having this conversation right now there's a there is a a a beautiful little sort of barrier that happens where people feel a lot more comfortable because they're not face to face so they sometimes can have these very deep conversations and I see it when I'm in roadblocks with the kids or in a particular area talking about the most sensitive subjects I was in Roblox last week and I was um, in a a party in Roblox and there was a a child in there talking about her mother's, uh, how her mother died of breast cancer in in a Roblox room with 50 other kids in there because, and you could clearly see that that she, and she was traumatised and she was talking about it very openly and she may not be able to, to speak about that to her friends at school if they weren't from school the people that she was talking with and other people so that's it's a very interesting side of things isn't it kelly that you know the predators have worked this out yeah and they're using it my point my point with this is that what it means for kids is that they find and, and you've you've said it already is they find other ways to get that connection it opens avenues for those other adults to make those connections and to fill that space that might otherwise be uh, for for a parent or a caregiver. And sometimes, you know, those people are all good intentioned and, you know, they genuinely love to mentor kids and things like that. But I think that's important for the parent to know who that person is is and not just because it's not in in front of you and you're not seeing um, a teenager or an adult face-to-face with your child. What it's it's out of sight and out of mind now bringing us on to the to the other subject that we've been kind of skirting around is that uh, it did take you till about the age of 19 as you've said to talk about your abuser Um, and we do know the biggest barrier for kids staying safe online from predators from harm from abuse is that the majority of them overwhelmingly will not tell a responsible adult let alone a friend when they experience something that's upsetting online and I just read about 
um, some research in the UK this morning that came out that within this particular cohort of um, young people that they surveyed, one of the things that stuck out to me was that they said out of this cohort, only 2% of them told an adult that they were sent um, a nude photo by someone online, only 2%. And the reasons they, they didn't tell anyone or even report it to the platform was, number one, they didn't feel reporting it to the platform was going to do anything. They do have a very genuine perception that reporting um, abuse or something upsetting is not going to go anywhere. And I totally understand why that is because you very rarely get anything back from the platform that you report to to say whether or not it went through or not. And it can keep happening. And the other reason was they didn't want to upset parents. They didn't want to get into trouble. They didn't want their peers to get into trouble. And they certainly didn't want the device or the platform taken away from them. So when you look back at your own experience of, of, and you've already spoken a bit about this just today, about why you didn't tell an adult about what was happening to you once you knew the words and you knew what was going on, um, what, what was it that made you come forward and talk about it? And parents listening to this, what can they do to make sure that the same thing isn't going to happen to their child and that they can create a situation where their child feels safe to, if not tell them, tell another um, safe adult in their life? Yeah, look, every, every child is, is different. And every family situation is different. I, I struggle because it, it took until I was 12 for my mum to, to bail me up and have that conversation. And the, the reason that that happened was because my uncle was convicted of offending against another child, right? Mm-hmm. He, he had a story to cover it up and everything, but it, it got my mum thinking and it made her very angry. And I just remember her being, <laughs> I laugh about it because at the time she's like one of those Greek ladies that smash plates and she was in the sink and washing, you know, washing the dishes and she's banging around and I could see she was angry. She has really red face when she's angry and she just spun around and she's like, is your uncle ever touched you? And she was quite angry and it, it actually scared me because um, I, I didn't really know what to say, but I was like, oh, my God, this is the time. And, and I, But I could feel myself flaming up. My heart was racing and my palms were sweating and I just I felt so sick and um, I I. I wanted to say yes. But, but you felt in some way part of it, didn't you? Yeah. You, had some, you felt like you had some sort of responsibility in, in, in what was happening. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I blame myself and, you know, mm. I, I thought it was my fault and, you know, I, I didn't want them to not love me anymore. I didn't want to be abandoned. And these are all the things that are racing mm. through a child's head and in mm. whatever age that that child is and, and how they their perception is shaped around that. and. It's even as adult survivor, you still think those things when you're speaking up. It's it's really interesting. Like, and we beat. But there was never a time where you got an indication from your mother that that would have been the case, that she would have abandoned you or blamed you. Absolutely not. She's the most loving, wonderful person you'll ever meet. Um, But it's 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 internalized and it's Mm -hmm. battle that you fight inside of yourself. Um, But. But the, the thing is, it took me until I was 19, so I kept that secret. And that was because I was already really, really stuck in this cycle. And that's why it's so important for this early, early, early intervention. So 
for, for parents out there, you can't, you can't bubble wrap your child and lock them in a bedroom because I think that's the only way to prevent anything bad happening to them. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> a lot of kids in bedrooms on their devices. Yes. You know, you just can't do that. And, mm. you know, protecting kids, your kids from what's out there is, is, is a scary concept. But we spend a lot of time protecting kids. Like, okay, we're going to teach them how to swim so they don't drown, right? We're going to teach mm-hmm. them how to, you know, not touch the stove because it's hot. Mm. And all this time keeping our kids safe in, in the world out there, yeah. we need to spend just as much time keeping our set, kids safe on, on their devices because it, it invites things into our home that we may not necessarily be prepared for if we haven't done the work. So from the beginning, it's it's got to be about giving them that emotional intelligence I was talking about before. Okay, why are you afraid? Tell me more about that. It's okay. I love you. You're safe here reminding them that they're safe people who are in trauma need validation they need they need um to know that whatever they say there's nothing so bad that they're not going to be abandoned or not loved or Mm. or, you know um i I remember there was a time that my my dad my i've got two dads and he he would always say to me he would always say if anyone ever touches you or hurts you i'm going to kill them and in more vulgar words than that that wouldn't have worked with your uncle because you didn't want him killed kelly no, but this is the problem, and this is what yeah. I'd like to share is that. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, are, I've, I've jumped the gun there. But it's the thing that we want to say as parents, you just go, oh, my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you and hurt you. Like you just get mm. so angry because you're, you, you love your child so much, and I, I fully understand that. And for me to tell you now to put the brakes on with that, it's, it's hard because you're just going to want to swallow. But I'll tell you now, walk outside and, and yell at a tree. And then come back to your child and then I love you. Nothing you say is going to, yeah. you know, make me abandon you or whatever. You, ha- you have to take the child out of their fear part of the brain, which is at the back. Yeah. So scared at that point when they want to tell you. They're mm. so scared. And when there's fear and if they don't talk to you, it's not necessarily because they don't want to. Sometimes um, the stress hormone floods parts of the brain that are responsible for language and it's actually a biological response if they physically cannot speak to you. Yeah. You've got to just calm them down to get them into the front part of their brain, which is the thinking, mm. reasoning space. Let them know that they're safe. Give them time. Be patient. And, and, and the that. same applies to parents because what you were saying about your mum and how she freaked you out by being oh. angry, I know that happens to a lot of parents. It happens. I've had other parents who have said to me that, you know, something had happened to their child and they just lost it. Yes. And that's your emotions, your fear coming up. Yeah. It's not that you're angry with the child, that your your shock and your fear yeah. um, makes you panic, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And look, I, I will say and this is a, this is a, a leaf out of my police book for you. <laughs> is that I've never had a bad experience with an offender when I've been angry, upset, or scared, or having to face off with somebody. I've always made amends at the end. So I, I just want to say that it's never too late when you're talking to your child that even if you do explode, that you just must come back to be vulnerable enough with your child and say, honey, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to be so angry, but it's because I love you so much. You know, it's it's never too late to have that conversation, but don't leave it because what that does is allows the child time to think and and to to wrestle and just to grind over what they've seen because a child who's, especially if something's been happening for a period Mm -hmm. of time, if a child's been exposed online or or participated in, in, you know, some sort of child exploitation, 
video or been like touched by somebody in the family or something like that, if this has been happening for some time, they're already struggling with, with their emotions and their feelings and what's going on inside of them. So when they first disclose it is the most important time um, and how you deal with that is so, so significant. You know, children who are surviving child abuse read everything and they may be reading it wrong, but they read everything. They read your dismissal. They, they listen to what you're not saying. They listen to your, your deep breath and your hesitation. They listen to uh, your, your fist clenching at the side of you because you're angry and you're frustrated. They note the colour of your face because they are so hypervigilant about what they've been through that they are reading everything and they are probably reading into everything wrong. But remember, they've, they've survived this. They've been doing this. And so your love and your compassion and your understanding at that point in time is absolutely crucial. I also think, Kelly, I don't think I know this because I felt this myself as a parent. Uh, a lot of parents don't uh, talk to children about these really tough subjects because they really don't want to ruin their innocence. It's, a, it's like the first time that you tell your child that somebody something can die maybe it's a pet that's died or a fish or something, or the first time you say to your child, you know, um, if somebody just walks up to you in the street, that whole stranger danger thing, it breaks your heart to have to tell a child that there are people out there that don't have their best interests at heart that yeah. mean to do them harm. So what happens is a lot of parents just put it off because they can't bear to, to, to spoil a child's innocence. So how do, how do parents get around that? Because I know, you know, talking to someone like Holly Ann Martin, she talks about age four, you've got to start talking to children about, you know, protection mechanisms and all kinds of amazing things that she's come up with. How do you talk to a four or five-year-old in a, in a way to let them know that something bad might happen, but you're the safe harbour, you're the safe place to go? Yeah, look, it's, it's tough and I... Uh... Um, to, to be honest, I advocate for big conversations, but I struggle so much with them because that's one thing that, you know, has been very difficult for myself to grow out of. Um, but I cannot speak enough for creating those spaces. And I guess it's like exposure. Um, the more you have those tough conversations, the easier it is. And to be honest, we do underestimate our kids. Uh, we, yeah. we underestimate their emotional um, intelligence and intellect and the things they're already seeing. I think we'd be appalled if we knew <laughs> what kids actually were seeing at schools and their friends are looking at and things like that that are already being spoken about, you know. So I think you can always have age-appropriate conversations with kids about stuff. Like I always advocate like, for, for sharing your story with your child. If something's happened, you tell them absolutely 100% because... I never knew up until I was 19 um, that my mother was also a victim of child sexual abuse, which meant I wasn't alone and she would have under she understood. Wow. Uh, she never told me that and she never told anyone. So oh, wow. my, my sharing of my story meant that my mum could break her silence as well. So there's there's a lot of things in this that are so powerful. Yeah. By knowing, by your child knowing, and it doesn't have to be much, but it just has to be enough. To say, you know, look, something happened to me when I was a kid. Um, I never want anything bad to happen to you like that. But just remember, you know, your body parts are yours. This is, you know, we've got to talk mm. about this is our penis and this is our vagina, you know, all those things because 
you know, somebody touched me there when I was a child mm. and it made me scared and afraid, but I never want you to be afraid. And I always want you to know that you come to me and I'm always going to love you. I'm going to keep you safe, you know, and, and having that, and, and, and look, I didn't share my story. That, that was like a two second conversation, but it's enough. That kid's not going to forget that, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's, it's enough that they remember it when the time, like a memory is like a bank of files, right? They, they will remember it when they need to remember it. Mm. You're not saying they're corrupting, corrupting them by explaining all of this stuff. You're actually being really protected because when the time comes and they feel uncomfortable, yeah. like mommy said this or daddy said this or auntie said this, and I know that I can go to them and I can tell them what I feel. Well, I should also tell the listeners that you have a degree in psychology because <laughs> a well, lot of the well, stuff you're saying it's is, an undergrad. Is, and, uh, yeah, but it's coming from, you know, a, it's a really interesting um, mix of experiences that you've had. Um, you know, uh, you went to the States, you did your degree in psychology over there and on a um, like a sports scholarship. Is that right? Yes, yes. So you've done a, a lot of really interesting things and the, and the mixture of all of that with your experience and, and working for the police makes you a really valuable person, Kelly, because, <laughs> if, you know, a lot of people listening to someone speaking to you might think, well, she's only saying that because of her experience and this is a rare thing. It's unlikely to happen to my child. But what the... That's not what the stats say. Oh, the stats say <laughs> that. Unfortunately, what the stats are saying, and and one of the things that that I think parents really need to take on board is research is very very difficult to do with children, because you you can't do broad scale research on kids, particularly you know in primary school, to ask them what their experiences are online, without telling them about abuse. So it's extremely limited as to the amount of um, approaches that kids are experiencing that we even know about. So it's not a case of if, it is a case of when. Your child, if they're using the internet or if even offline, will be at some point sent something that is um, sexual, that is abusive, they will be approached by someone. It's not a case of if, it's when. And how they respond to that is so important, as you've just been outlining. Yeah. I think for parents it's really important, and there's lots of great sites, and I'm sure you've got lots of resources uh, on your website as well about where kids can report and, you know, mm-hmm. not just reporting through the app but the eSafety Commissioner and um, through ACE itself, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation. When things are happening, you've got other avenues to, re- to report these criminally because... It, it may not just be your child, and nine times out of ten, it's probably not. Um, you know, when, when I've done education with kids in schools around cyber safety, um, I, I often get the dis- disclosure from, from children that they keep getting pulled into other groups, into chat rooms, into, you know, um, groups where, you know, this stuff is just being exposed. There's, there's constantly, like, there's messages, there's, there's you know, dick pics, I'll say, that I mean, that's the... The terms that this is happening all the time, like, and these are good kids, but they're resilient enough to be able to know where to report it. But some kids aren't, um, so it's really important to know that different places that you can actually make the report so that it can mm. be investigated. So, and I'll also give a, a, a big shout out to the kids' helpline as well, Kelly. Um, 
who are amazing. And um, I know in Queensland and the Northern Territory, there's a kids' parent line as well for, for parents to go to that you can ring 24-7, and that's for kids under the age of 25. So we're talking about older teens as well. If they don't feel that they can speak to someone, it's one of the things that I promote in my talks to kids, that if you, there is, you really don't feel like you can, you've got someone to talk to or you just don't want to, yeah. uh, you can chat with them. And I think parents... It's really important that parents acknowledge that there may be a time that their child just can't bring themselves to face them and talk to them, and that's another avenue that they can go to. Can I be bold enough to say this, Leonie? It's that sometimes, um, even though it's not, I know this is a digital families podcast, but it's a very important point that you you raise that that children not wanting to come to parents. I didn't want to talk to my parents because I I, I love my parents and I don't want to hurt them. So, yeah. Having that conversation with them is actually really hard. It's easier for me to go and speak to a teacher, a caregiver, a, a sports coach or something like that. And that's why it's really important to make sure that organisations around you are equipped to report child child sexual abuse. But Isn't that what happened to you, Kelly? The first um, person you told was? Much later in life. So I was already an adult. At that yeah, point. but it, the first person you told was? A coach, yeah. 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 And so she pointed me in the right direction, which actually was very helpful. But... I just want to add that um, 90% of, again, child sexual abuse is committed by somebody who is known to the child. And a lot of times this is happening in homes. And so if if a child comes to you, and particularly mums, I don't want to say like it's just men who offend because it's not. There's also women who are offenders, okay? It's very rare, but it does happen. Yeah. But if a child's coming to you, like the statistics don't lie, 98% of children are telling the truth when they disclose child sexual abuse. You must believe your child, okay? And if they're saying that daddy has done this to me, I urge you to act protectively immediately. It's also an offence now um, to not disclose child abuse. So it's, it's happening. And if the child comes to you, that is the most bravest thing they probably will ever do in their life. Mm. If you dismiss them at that point in time, it is, it is, is very difficult. And I know this is a hard conversation to swallow, but it's very likely and quite possible at times that the person that you love and that you turn to and that you lay next to at night could be committing offences against your child. Mm. It's a very real thing that happens, okay? So um, don't dismiss that. Oh, they mm. would never do that. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. You don't know that. So. Mm. In those disclosures, be vigilant. Mm. Kelly, it's been it's been wonderful to speak with you, and you're so brave. And um, <laughs> you've got an amazing book that you've written um, about your experience called Unscathed Beauty. Yes, yeah. Um, um, that's where is it? <laughs> you've, got the, you've got well, you've got the beautiful picture that's on the cover it's a stunning picture right behind you as well unscathed beauty and people can get that from um kelly's website um which i'll put as a as a link on the podcast as well thank you so much for spending the time with us i'll definitely catch up with you i think you're doing incredible work um and obviously i'm not the only one that thinks that you've got loads of different awards and stuff for all the stuff that you do and well deserved and and i'm really sorry that you had to go through what you had to go through so he's such an amazing person but you, um you've come through it and you're an inspiration stop it you're making me <laughs> <laughs> no it's good 
I appreciate that. It, it's yeah. uh, it's a bit like swings and roundabouts and a bit of a roller coaster ride. Some days it's just it's very difficult, but um, yeah, I do it because I know that even if one person takes something from our conversation today, which I know a lot more people will, um, it, then it's worth it. You know, yes, it's worth it, and we need to be having these conversations uh, and making people aware. So I I thank you for having me as part of this and again you can reach out to me i've got my website kellyhumphries.com or um i'm more active on facebook actually but um either way happy to support or help or if you've got questions um i'm a bit slow on the email but i'll get there (laughs) thank you kelly and have have a wonderful holiday period um with whatever you do have a bit of a break from it all um and um yeah i look forward to talking to you again Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Kelly. Um, If any of these issues mentioned have raised any concerns for you, we did mention quite a few places to go. The Kids Helpline, Parent Line, which is available for Queensland and Northern Territory parents. Lifeline on 131114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. Please share with friends if you loved this podcast it's so important to get the message out there to other parents and also educators on this important subject leave us a review or some feedback on youtube or your favorite podcast app however you're listening to us today because i'd love to hear what you think maybe you've got a suggestion for an upcoming guest tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families 